Back in 2006, a curator at a museum in Copenhagen was going through boxes in the storage area. The new Carlsberg Glyptotech, or the Glyptotech as it was generally known, features 19th century paintings from the Danish Golden Age. It's got sculptures from French artists like Rodin and Degas, and it's renowned for its ancient Greek and Roman collections. On this particular day, the curator was preparing to put on a new display of the museum's antiquity collection. So she was rifling through the archives when she opened the box. The box filled with noses. There were sculpted noses made of marble and plaster of every shape and size. There were a few ears, some locks of hair, and a fig leaf or two. But what there wasn't was any notes, no identifying information about what noses belonged to which faces. Where did these noses come from? And why were they eventually put on display in the museum? I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we go to the Glyptotech and sniff out how this nose collection came to be. When was the last time I took a road trip? How many national parks could I hit in two weeks? What about hotels? Wait, hey, Erica, how much am I spending on travel? When your questions about life turn into questions about money, there's Erica, the virtual financial assistant to help you spend, save, and plan smarter. Only from Bank of America. What would you like the power to do? Erica is only available in the English language. You must download the latest version of the mobile banking app, only available on select mobile devices. Your chat may be recorded and monitored for quality assurance. Message and data rates and additional terms may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself. You might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites, along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. The new Carlsberg Glyptotech is an archaeological dream. It's got a huge collection of sculptures from the Roman and Greek Empire. In one exhibit, a man wields a sword above his head while he's trying to hold off an invisible rival. Across the room, there's a woman in a dance-like pose. It sort of feels like you're walking through ancient Rome as you go through the museum. The museum itself opened in 1897. Much of the art here is from the private collection of the son of the founder of Carlsberg Brewery, including the noses that that curator found in the box. To find the noses, you have to walk through the glass-domed winter garden, past the recreated Roman temple, and up to the Greek and Roman collection, wind through a series of portraits' heads and into a small exhibit hall. And in the back... You will come nose to nose with the noses. It's quite peculiar, actually. It's very, very different from the aesthetics that you find in, in the exhibition halls. This is Julie Leiska Christensen. She's a curator at the museum and a classical archaeologist. The official name of the exhibit is the Nasatech. Naso from the Latin word for nose and tech, which in Greek means where something is kept. 
It is a big square display case filled with noses mounted in this kind of taxonomic presentations you'll find in natural history museums. It's almost, I think, reminiscent of the presentations you could also find in um, old medical collections with humans or natural specimens. To understand how this nasal display came to be, you need to remember that thousands of years ago, classical Greek and Roman sculpture was a study in the human form. They perfected proportion and balance. They gave their sculptures this deeply lifelike quality. But the artists also weren't trying to recreate reality. They were chiseling out their image of the ideal person. Obviously, there were all kinds of bodies in society. But what we have in museum collections, typically at least, or is the, the culture of the elite. We have all these naked men that are athletic, very trimmed and strong, and they're out there showing themselves off. We're still taught that these ideal bodies from antiquity are the ones that we should strive to copy and strive to obtain. A strong body was seen as powerful, having a high level of status, both physically and psychologically. These sculptures were setting the standard in society of what a person should strive to be. It's still an idea that we're chasing today. This idea of perfection, it followed the sculptures when they started showing up in museums. Today, it's pretty common in museums to see sculptures with all sorts of flaws, a worn-down nose, a missing head, an arm cracked after thousands of years of standing around. But in the 17th and 18th century, complete sculptures were seen as more worthy for display, more beautiful than the fractured pieces, and an intact piece would sell better on the art market. So, some art dealers and conservators would go to great lengths to fill in any gaps. They'd conduct these sculptural surgeries and then end up leaving little dents and scratches in the original piece. Sometimes they'd go even further. Sometimes the restoration process was quite ruthless. For instance, cutting off the fragmented limbs in order to add new and complete ones. You would have a torso and then you would fit a head from, that you found from another excavation into that torso. Our central grand hall with these very beautiful complete sculptures standing between the columns. They're made of fragments from different sculptures. These beautiful, idealized sculptures of bodies were actually Frankenstein creations. They had fabricated new arms or heads plucked off of entirely different bodies. And the same goes for the noses. You would actually cut into the surface of the head in order to make this new plaster or marble nose fit. The nose, in particular, was one of the parts that was most susceptible to damage. After millennia of standing around or being moved to and fro, suddenly a sculpture would just take a nosedive. And the schnoz would be one of the first parts to go. Restorers would remove the damaged nose and stick on a new one, all done in the name of the perfection of beauty. And it was just the way it was done at this time. And there was nothing curious about treating these sculptures in that way, but obviously it's a very different way of treating cultural heritage from what we do today. But things started to change in the middle of the 20th century. There was a debate happening in the art world. Was this love of aesthetics, of perfection, getting in the way of authenticity? For example, there was an artist named Bertolt Torvason. 
He was born in Denmark in 1770, and he moved to Rome and became an expert on the classical style. His restorations were so precise that they were virtually undetectable. But even Bertel's skillful hand could miss the mark. Archaeologists studied the pedestals where the statues had actually stood, and some of the details ended up being pretty off. For instance, there's this uh, warrior that uh, Torvaldsen reconstructed as lying on his back that was proved to have originally been standing. The overall composition that Torvaldsen had made in his restorations was wrong, so that led to a lot of critique of this way of restoring. This might sound like a small detail, but the restorers were sometimes taking kind of a bit of artistic license. They were putting in their own ideas of what the piece might look like or should look like. And while a fractured piece might not look as nice, these changes were muddying up the intent of the original artist. This debate kicked off a movement of de-restoration. In the 1950s, conservators started removing these filler pieces, leaving the sculptures as they were found, flaws and all. So, the noses and other restored parts came off once again. Now the viewer would be left to fill in the gaps. The NASA Tech collection at the museum is a result of this de-restoration. Essentially, it's the remnants of nose jobs, you can say, sculptural nose jobs that had been put on these fragmented sculptures in the 18th century and then removed much later. That box of noses that the curator found in the back room, it was a collection of bad nose jobs. When the Nasotech first went up, it was meant to be tongue-in-cheek, kind of a fun curiosity. But it's become one of the most popular exhibits in the museum. It is kind of mesmerizing, staring at this lineup of disembodied noses, each casting their own unique schnoz-shaped shadow. Whether visitors realize it or not, in these noses, these little fragments, is this bigger argument, this larger conversation in the art world, in the politics of aesthetics. What is beautiful? How do we challenge certain cultures of perfection, ones that we've been holding up for thousands of years? Maybe art can be imperfect. Maybe it can be messy. These are conversations that will probably never end. It says something about part of the museum's praxis that is normally completely invisible to the public. And this whole uh, interpretive act of curating, restoring, displaying sculptures. There are thoughts and negotiations behind every decision in this display. So I think the NASA take speaks a little bit into that aspect. These noses are a marker of where we've settled on these negotiations today. But who knows what the future holds? If you're ever in Copenhagen, you can go take a gander at these noses for yourself. The new Carlsberg Glyptotech is open Tuesday through Sunday. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Stitcher Studios. This episode was produced by Alexa Lim. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Manolo Morales, Baudelaire, Gabby Gladney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. 
I will see you next time. Hey, Fidelity. What's it cost to invest with the Fidelity app? Start with as little as $1 with no account fees or trade commissions on U.S. stocks and ETFs. Hmm, that's music to my ears. I can only talk. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Zero account fees apply to retail brokerage accounts only. Zero dollar commission applies to online U.S. equity trades and ETFs and retail Fidelity accounts. Sell order assessment fee not included. Some account types and securities excluded. Details at Fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure they are always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com.